I might be a little biased because I made it, but I, there's something about that intro video I love. It just gets me pumped up. It's like, ah! like, it's like a scene from Braveheart or, or Gladiator. You just want to yell, freedom! Right? It's, June is kind of man month right here at Centennial. We last week started this new series called Be Strong, and uh, Pastor spoke about Gideon and how he was strong uh, because he was a mighty man of valor through the presence of, of, of God in his life. And tonight at 5.30, we're having our first men's gathering. We're going to grill some dogs and, well, not actual dogs, hot dogs. And uh, uh, we're not in the Philippines. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to grill some hamburgers and just have a good time. Just be with some men. And some specific men are going to share their stories about how they came to the faith and uh, with Jesus Christ and even here to Centennial. And the ladies, sorry you're not included in this one. But it's going to be a good time. Of course, next week is Father's Day. And so June is, is a good month. And as we talk about this. Today we're going to talk about Samson. We're going to look at his life and kind of the things that happened in, in, in Samson's life. And uh, perhaps Samson is, is one of my favorite um, boyhood child um, Bible stories because Samson's stories are those of blood and guts and fighting. And uh, then it just it's, it's one of those stories where, you know, he's the Superman, so to speak, the comic book guy of the Bible. If there was a Superman of the Bible times, um, that would have been Samson. Of course, his kryptonite would have been women, but so again, not a good guy to emulate, but his stories are, are great, and I, I like to, to reminisce on those. I remember one time when um, I was in, I was, so I grew up in Oklahoma, right, and before I moved to Oklahoma City, we lived in a little town of Shawnee, Oklahoma, and our pastor, um, his name was Bob Hudson. He had some sons, um, well, many sons, actually, uh, I think four, but Matt Hudson, who was a missionary at one time in the Ukraine, now is a pastor in uh, I believe Arizona, he was my Sunday school teacher. And for some reason, I don't know why, this sticks out in my mind, because it has absolutely, absolutely nothing to do with Samson. But how many of you remember the flannel graphs back in the day? Sunday school flannel graphs, right? They have like the stuff on the back. The teacher had that felt board, and they had all these stories. Well, they had one of Samson, and, and you'd get through the story of Samson. And of course, you know at the end of Samson's life, maybe you don't know, so I don't assume that, but we're going to talk about it today. But at the end of Samson's life, his eyes were gouged out, his hair was cut short, and he's pushing the, the, the grind, and there was a story, and there was a picture of Samson. And when they cut Samson's hair off, I have no idea why, but he had blue hair. The flannel graph had blue hair, and that has absolutely nothing to do with the story today, but I was reminiscing, so thank you for letting me reminisce for a moment, of the blue flannel graphed hair guy from my childhood. Um, but yeah, we're not going to talk about the blue-haired Samson, but we are going to talk about Samson. And men, um, I would encourage you to get a copy Pick one up on Amazon, or, or I would say go to your local bookstore, but that'd be a waste of time. Just go to Amazon or Google, and there's a, a book called Fight, and a lot of the things that, I, of the, the, that I'm going to be sharing with you today, I've taken some of that inspiration from this book, and it's been a helpful book for me, um, about the battles that men face and the things that we have to fight, and so I would encourage you to go online, look for that, and it cost you less than 10 bucks. Um, we're going to be in Judges today, Judges chapter 14, that's where we're going to start, and um, I would encourage you to read this story on your own sometime uh, throughout this week. Uh, it's chapters 13 through 16. Uh, for time's sake, I'm not going to read it all. Plus, you don't really want to hear me read four chapters aloud in church. That would be bad for all of us, okay? So read that on your own sometime this week and just kind of recap the story here. Um, but this might come as a surprise to you, but men and women were different, Right? How many of you didn't know that? I just shocked you all. Yes, John Tilford. Thank you. I knew I'd get somebody. Yes, we're a lot different. Women, you love to talk. 
you love to share your emotions, and, and you know the statistic of, of the, who's the, Mark Gunger, he talks about how many words women use versus men, and I don't remember them all off the top of my head, uh, but women, you love to talk, you love to show your emotions, you love to shop, you love to get your nails done, and your hair did, and all of those things, and do the girly things, and, and uh, of course, uh, some of you are more arts and crafts savvy, and you like to decorate, and, and then the, but there's a few of you who are cowgirls, and, and you don't like to get your nails as dirty, but you still like to dress up, and you have dress boots and dress jeans, right? So no matter what your style is that you like, there's still a girly part about you that makes you different than men. Men, we just like to grunt, <sighs> right? Men are, I remember Tim the Tool Man, <laughs> right? So uh, men like to grunt. Men, let's face it, we're disgusting, right? Men, men burp, yeah? Men pass gas, and they think it's funny. We're in church. That's okay. Like, uh, it's, it's Sunday. That doesn't make any difference in the rest of six days of the week. So I'm just being real. You know what your husband does, right? So men, we're kind of gross. We're, we're not that great. But we, we have our things. You know, we like to hunt. Where's my hunters in the room? We have hunters. There's this hunting season. Half of my hunters aren't here. Our, our, one of our guys plays a guitar. He's out today. Um, Scouting out his hunting spot. That's how serious he is. He can't just go hunt. He's got to find the spot. Um, but, yeah, so some men like to hunt. Some men like to fish. Uh, some of us like to build things. I went with Joe, our bass player. He's over in the, in the uh, if he ever asks you to help him pick a car up, it's, it's a scam. Run, right? Uh, so he's, he's teaching our children's ministry today with his wife, Melissa. But yesterday with him, I went, and I, I'm not a car guy. I don't like cars. There's nothing cool about cars. I never wanted to rebuild one. That's, that's my personality as a man. But some of you might ooh and awe when I say this. He found a 51 Mercury. So there's a couple of car guys who were like, yeah, right? So he's going to rebuild it. He already has a 53 Chevy that he's working on. Um, so if you like cars, Joe's your man. Get to know Joe, right? So I went with him to pick up that car, and it, it took a lot longer than I thought. But that was an experience that, um, okay, cool, yeah, Joe's a car guy. So men are different. We have different personalities and likes and dislikes. But no matter what your hobbies are or things that you like to do, um, all men pretty much have one thing in common. There's probably not anyone who wouldn't agree with this. We all love a good fight, right? Blood and guts, somebody punching somebody else in the face. Uh, it's just enjoying a fight. It's, it's a good thing. Some of you are getting a little like, oh, what's he saying? Getting a little antsy. It's okay. It's okay. The Bible's a pretty violent book, and we're going to see that in a minute. But some of us like a good fight. I mean, chances are, if your wife says, hey, honey, let's watch a movie tonight, 10 out of 10 times, you're not going to pick The Notebook. Or anything else that starts with Nicholas Sparks, you're gonna pick the the blood and guts movie, the action movie, the adventure movie, right? Why is that? Do you think? And I might take a weird approach at this, but I believe that the reason why is because men, we were created with the heart of a warrior. And if you look in the scripture and you look at the things that the Bible talks about, I mean, it says God is a man of of war, and we see all throughout the Old Testament the different battles that took place and how people were. Um, always fighting for certain things, the Philistines that we're going to look at today, and, and the Israelites. And, um, but this is the thing. Yes, men love a good fight, and yes, I believe we were created with the heart of a warrior, but a warrior is only as worthy as his cause. An aggressive man, an angry man, a man with no cause, with no direction, um, no place to direct his energy, will always end up directing that energy, directing that passion and that aggression into the wrong areas of his life. But a man, a warrior, a God-given um, warrior with that God-given ability will direct that 
energy into a right cause, into a cause that's greater than himself. And until there's something that we're willing to die for, that we're willing to fight for, that is greater than ourselves, we can't truly live. And I think we're going to see that today. Sadly, Samson didn't realize this until the end of his life. Um, so we're going to, as we get started here this morning, I'm going to take a drink of water because I'm already getting chapped tongue, if you can't tell that. There we go. When, you're, when your lips start sticking to your teeth, it's not a good thing. All right, so let's, before we get to Judges, I want to show you a guy, Nehemiah, in the, in the Old Testament. Nehemiah, um, he was a warrior, and he had a cause to fight for him. Nehemiah 4.14 says, and you don't got to go there, I'll read it to you. It says, and I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Nehemiah had a cause. He specifically told the people that he was influencing to rise up and fight for this cause. A man, a warrior, a warrior without a cause to fight for will fight the wrong fight every time. And that's what we're going to see happen in Samson here. He didn't have a cause to fight for, so he spent his time wasting his time playing games, fighting the wrong fights. And before we, again, before we read um, Judges, I want to read a verse to you out of Ezekiel 22, verse 30. Jeremiah, he's the author here, and he's warning of God's judgment on Jerusalem to people here. And he says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before the Lord, that I should not destroy it. I'm sorry, for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. And that's probably the saddest, one of the saddest verses in the Bible. The hedge he's talking about, that wall that he's talking about, is not a physical wall. It's, it's of men. It's of people who will fight for something. And he says, I looked for a man, but I couldn't find one. And my prayer this morning, and as I've studied this week, and as I talked this morning, is, is that that wouldn't be said of my home. That I looked for somebody to stand up for, but I found none. And that's my prayer, that for your homes, that that would be the case. That that wouldn't be said of us. That of, of this church, Centennial, that of Caldwell, the city that we're in, that God wouldn't look down and say, I, I can't find a man, because that's a very sad thing. And I have to admit that this is a very difficult message to speak because um, it's very convicting. And I want you to know that as I stand here and I, and I share my heart with you this morning, I am not standing here as a man who has all the answers. I'm not standing here as a man who has it all together, a man who makes all the right choices for his family or for his kids, who doesn't sometimes fight the wrong fight. But my prayer is that I grow and I mature as a believer in Christ and I spend time in God's word, that I will stop making as many of those mistakes that I make when I choose to fight the wrong fight and I will turn my attention to fight the fights that God has called me to fight for. And so this morning as we, as we talk about this, I hope that you understand that and, and, and that um, my humility would, would come across and I would not seem arrogant um, because we have to be honest with ourselves first. If we're going to be honest and we're going to open up to God and to our families, we have to start with ourselves, and then, and then that's when God can use us. Let's pray, and uh, we'll start this morning in Judges. God, thank you for our time together this morning, and I pray over the next 25 minutes, 30 minutes or so, that we would um, receive what you have for us from your word, and that we would be men and women who um, want to fight for a cause, that want to stand up and be strong um, in the presence of our enemy, and, and just lead our families and our homes in the ways that you would have us to lead them. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. If you take time to read all of Samson's story in, uh, in Judges there, 
you'll find there's a lot of heroic acts, right? If we were to recap all that Samson did, he kills a lion with his bare hands. Um, he, he catches 300 foxes, ties their tails together, puts a torch in them, and burns down a whole bunch of crops and fields out of revenge. Um, he slaughters a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey, right? And I had one of our teachers who was retiring. She gave me a jawbone. Um, I don't know that it's a donkey. It might be a horse. It might be something else. But one dude alone, I would be tired. Like, it's, it's not comfortable. My hand would hurt. It would have blisters. But this guy took a jawbone, and he just started welling on a thousand dudes and killed them. And so this story is a violent story. It's an aggressive story. And I, I, when I read these things, I'm thinking, wow, that's, that's crazy. But the, the, the sad part about Samson here is Samson was strong, um, but he had a very weak will. He was dangerously strong, incredibly strong, but he had a dangerously weak will. And we're going to read about that in just a moment. Number six, if you read that sometime, it's going to express and show you um, about the Nazarite vow that Samson took. Uh, Samson was an Israelite, but he was also a Nazarite. And the thing about the Nazarite vow, um, from Hebrew, the Hebrew word, Nazir, means consecrated or set apart. And the vow was for people who wanted to dedicate some period of time um, to serving God, to setting themselves apart for God. And this could be as short as 30 days. It could be as long as they wanted, all the way up to a lifetime. Um, and there was one exception, and it was voluntary. Like, you could volunteer to do this, with one exception. Your parents could take that vow for you, and if they did, that would consecrate you for life um, as a Nazarite. And he did that. His parents took that vow for him. They made him a Nazarite. And three rules that the Nazarites had, the first one was, um, you don't drink wine or alcohol. The second one was you don't touch dead things. And the third one was you don't cut your hair. And a razor shouldn't touch your hair or your beard, right? So these three rules, kind of weird. We'll explain them a little bit more as we read through. But this was Samson's calling. Samson was called um, um, to dedicate his life to God, de get it, dedicate his life to a purpose, serving God and his people. But Samson didn't do it, and he failed over and over and time and time again because, as we said, Samson was an incredibly strong man with a dangerously weak will. Judges 4.14, I flapped my gums long enough, here we go. We're going to start here in verse 1, and we're going to see, as we read through this, I want to start to point out to you three attitudes of Samson that made him weak. So as we see these three attitudes, we'll point them out, we'll talk about them, and we'll spend quite a bit of time here uh, discussing these um, in, in the book of Judges 14. 14 verse 1 says this, um, And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines, and he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman. So that's where it starts. He said, I saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. He didn't ask. He told them. So a little back history here. If you don't know this, Samson went down, as that first verse says, and he went down to where the Philistines hung out. And if you're not familiar with this, the Philistines were the Israelites' arch rival. They were some of their greatest enemies. And now that wasn't part of his vow. There was no vow that says thou shalt not marry a Philistine, but that was kind of like an unspoken rule. You don't go down and, and those women aren't for you. They're not believers. They don't believe the way we believe. They don't believe in a God that we believe in. Don't be a part of them. But he goes down there. He sees them. He says, I see it. I want it. Get it. Verse 3 says, then his father and his mother said unto him, said unto him, is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren? Or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. So we see here that Samson, again, and his parents 
And, of course, verse, verse 4 tells us that they didn't know that it was of the Lord because um, you would kind of question that. Well, why wouldn't his parents just put their foot down and be like, no, you're not getting that woman. But for whatever reason, let her have her way, and, and he got the woman. And so our first attitude we see here is lust. I want it. Samson said, I want it, get it. And here's the thing. He's chasing after a Philistine girl in a place that he shouldn't have been in the first place. And because he's there, he sees something that he shouldn't have. He lusts after it. He says, I want it. Get it. Let's keep reading the verse 5 we pick up. And not only do we see an attitude of lust, but we're going to see one of entitlement that says, I deserve it. Verse 5 says, Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath, and came to the vineyards of Timnath. And behold, a young lion warred against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent, rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hands. But he told his father or his mother, but he told not his father or mother what he had done. So again, it shares there, he had nothing in his hands. He just killed the lion. So now, um, kill the lion. The lion's dead. We keep reading here. It says, and he went down. There he goes again. And he talked with the woman. And she pleased Samson well. And rather a time he returned, and after a time he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. I want you to notice those words, he turned aside. So he killed that lion. He went back. And then he comes back, and what's that second rule of the, of the Nazarite covenant? Don't touch any dead thing. And as we read here, he touches the lion. He says, and he took, therefore, in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother and gave them, and they did eat. But he told not them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So he killed the lion. He goes and says, he took. He says, ah, I deserve that. I want that. I killed it. There's honey. I think I can have it. I shouldn't touch dead things. But that's okay, I'll take it. And so because he was lustful, he was entitled, he was proudful, he was arrogant, we're seeing here this attitude that's taking place. And as we continue to read down, nothing good ever happens when you're in a place that you shouldn't be, right? Because he says, he turned aside. When you're at work and, and you're working and, and the clock is ticking and, and time is done, and you know you should go home, but you continue to work, your family's waiting on you, and you turn aside and you say, no, I don't need that. You're on your computer, you're doing something, whatever you're doing, surfing the web, and you see a website and you click it, or you go to a website and you click it, and you know you shouldn't, you're turning aside. You're at work, and the guys or, or the gals, whoever it is, say, hey, let's go have drinks. And you know you should get home to your family, and you know you shouldn't do that, and you turn aside, and you're, in a, you're putting yourself in places that you shouldn't be to make those choices. And that's what Samson did. Verse 10, there's an interesting word here, and we get this in the Greek. It says, um, so his father went down unto the woman, and Samson made therefore a feast. All right, so the, the attitudes we see that made him weak was he was lustful. He said, I want it. He was entitled. He said, I deserve it. And lastly, we see he was prideful. He said, I can handle it. So how does that have anything to do with what we just read? The word feast in the, Greek, in the, in the Hebrew means drink. Um, it's, it's a masculine noun. I put that in your notes there. And the short definition is a banquet, a.k.a. a party, right? So Samson's partying it up, and as a Nazarite, what's going to he not supposed to do? Drink. What's going to be at this place? Wine. The Nazarite vow was so serious that not only was he not supposed to, to have alcohol, but he wasn't even supposed to touch grapes, or as the Bible would even read, dry grapes too, raisins, or anything that grew on the vine. That Nazarite vow was so serious 
that it said, hey, you can't have alcohol, you can't drink, you can't even touch grapes or anything from the vine. But Samson throws a feast. He says, I'm getting married. Let's party. I can do this. I know I'm not supposed to, but I can handle what's going to happen. And how often do we do that? And so he, he breaks the rules. And so now he's taking the woman that he shouldn't take. He's touched the dead lion that he shouldn't take. And now he's drinking. And if we were to finish reading this chapter, we read down here. Um, I, I find it really interesting, and I'll paraphrase for you. So Samson's at the party, right? And he has 30 companions that come to him. And he says, let me give you a little riddle here. He says, what's sweeter than, than, than sweet and, and better than honey? Basically, it's verse, uh, let me see here, 15, I believe. Uh, verse 14. Out of the eater came forth the meat, and out of the strong came forth the sweetness. Or the sweet, that would rhyme, that would make the, the riddle, right? So he's saying, so he's asking them about this lion and this honey. He's saying, if you, if you men can tell me this, this riddle, he says, I'll give you 30 clothes, 30 sets of clothes, right? And that's, that's, that's good for them because they get a free set of clothes. But he says, if you can't do it, you've got to give me 30. So he's either not really good at math here because there's one of him, 30 of them. He's going to have to provide 30. They're going to have to provide one. Well, they can't figure it out. So what do they do? They go whine to his wife. And they say, hey, tell us this riddle. We can't figure it out because the feast is lasting for a week. And they can't figure it out. And then it comes to the end of the chapter there. And um, she comes before Samson, and she says, don't you love me? You haven't told me your secret. And he's, he's like, woman, I didn't even tell my parents. That's what he says. He doesn't say woman, but I'm paraphrasing. He says, why would I tell you? I didn't even tell my parents. And then finally, he caves because he was a strong man with a weak will. And the pretty lady was batting her eyes and saying, tell me your secret. And she tells him a secret. And so then these men come back, and they come back to Samson, and Samson uh, they tell Samson it's a lion and honey, right? So they, he spoils the riddle that, that's there in, in uh, Judges. And as he does that, um, I find a really interesting verse. And men, if you don't get anything else today, take advice from this verse right here. I think it's verse uh, uh, 18. And the man of the city said unto him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? So they answered the riddle. And he said unto them, now he's kind of mad. They ticked him off. If ye had not plowed with my heifer... You had not found out my riddle. I don't think it's a good idea to call your wife a heifer. Okay? I don't even know. that. You know, sometimes you read the Bible and you don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know what he's talking about. I mean, I, I get it. He's saying, if you hadn't, you know, gone and asked my wife what was going on and but why he called her a heifer, who knows. But don't do that, okay? It's a bad idea, right? But Samson had a sinful behavior. What we find out that happens from this is, is Samson, um, uh, he gets angry. He leaves. His father gives... Um, his companion, his wife to his companion, and he comes back and he tries to go to his wife, and his dad says, no, you don't want to do that. She's in there with another man. <clears throat> so now Samson's ticked off, and so then he goes and he, and he kills a bunch of people to take care of it, and he ties the fox and burns their lands. And, and then, of course, the Philistines get mad, and they come back and they kill her and, and, and her father, right? And so now Samson's he's angry, but Samson's selfish and sinful behavior caused him to go down this self-destructive pattern of anger, of breaking God's rules, of breaking his Nazarite vow. But how many times have we been somewhere where we shouldn't have been, and lust gets the better part of us? Granted, men and even ladies, lust is not just sexual, right? Yes, sexuality is a big part of our lives, and lust for men especially is a temptation that many men face and many struggle with. But more than that, 
It can be anything that we want that we don't need. It could be as simple as a new car. I want that new car. We tell ourselves, that's a nice car. I could, I could really drive that car. And then we tell ourselves, I need that car. I'm looking at my wife, or I could even change the word to truck, because I just bought a truck recently. Right? I deserve that truck. I work hard. Granted, I know the, the payment might make things a little financially tight. I'm not saying this for myself. I, I don't think I made that decision mistake, but you know. But example here. I might not be able to afford it, but I want it. I need it. I deserve it. I'm going to get it. We get, the, we get the expensive car, and we get the extra payment, and now we're kind of slave to the, as Dave Ramsey says, to borrow, well, the Bible says, he likes to say it a lot too, to borrow a slave to the lender, right? Maybe it's not that. Maybe for you it's a house. I want a new house, so I want to upgrade. And then when you buy the house, you've got to buy stuff to put in the house. And then the same thing happens. You put stuff on credit cards, and you get in debt, and, and, and you start to, to feel the pressure of, of the weight of the, the things that are against you financially. Maybe it's money. You want a new job, and you want a new career, and if you take that job and you take that career, it'll help you. Yes, it's going to take you away from your family. Yes, there's a lot of travel involved. Yes, there's extra hours. But it'll actually be good for my family because I'll be able to provide and I'll give them extra. And we convince ourselves that these things are better and now we're becoming slave to what we want. Maybe it's a hobby, an expensive hobby, one that costs a lot of money, takes away from your family. And weeks. Well, I'll use this hobby someday to teach my son or teach my daughter or, or whatever. And, and then... We end up, it just consumes us, and we spend our money there, and, and we end up never even, we don't even involve our kids in it. And, and no matter what it is, before you know it, the thing, that thing that had us, that we said, I can handle it. I deserve it. I want it. I can handle it. Now it's handling us. It's controlling all our time. It's controlling all our energy, and it's forcing us to, for, to fight a fight that we don't want to be in anymore. It's forcing us to be in a battle. It's making us direct our energy towards something that God didn't want us to have in the first place. You know what I find interesting in all of this about Samson and his vow breaking? He kept his long hair. You say, well, yeah, that was the secret to his strength. Sure, sure it was. But it was also a Nazarite vow. He broke all the other ones. Why not break that one? Here's why, I think. Because he was saying, hey, I'm with God. Because the reason the Nazarites didn't cut their hair was because the long hair was a symbol. If somebody saw a dude with long hair, they said, that's a Nazarite. That guy set himself apart for God. We know because of his hair that he wants to serve God, that he wants to live a life for God. Kind of like as Christians, when we get baptized, we're saying before our fellow believers, hey, I'm baptized. I accepted Christ, and I want you to know. Or as a married person, you wear a ring that says, hey, I'm not for sale. I'm already taken, ladies. I'm already taken, men. And, and, and those rings symbolize and they tell a story. Well, Samson's hair was telling a story, but it was also telling a lie. Samson was living a very hypocritical life. And here Samson goes on to live a selfish life. He's seeking revenge for being wronged. You read further, he's hooking up with prostitutes. He falls in for another gal named Delilah, which is the famous, more famous part of the story. He kills several Philistines, tricking them. You know, she's tell me your strength. No, and they go back and forth, and he breaks chains and ropes, and he and he and he kills these men that keep attacking him, and then she gives giving him the the sad eyes again. But you're not going to tell me your strength, and you don't love me. 
thing. And, of course, he falls in for it, and then she tells him his strength, and he cuts his hair, right? And he falls. So women are his, his downfall here. Um, they capture him. And they gorge out his eyes. And, and, and that's kind of where we're going to pick up the story here. Um, back in Judges 16, verse 28. Judges 16, 28. Samson's been caught. The Philistine Delilah has told his lie, her, her lies. She cut off his hair. They captured him. Um, now they gorged his eyes out, and like I said, he's making him press the the the, the uh, at the at the press. And, and um, he says to he says this in verse twenty eight. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, "O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me." I pray thee only this once. So here's the good news. God loves to make weak men strong. Samson was a really weak man. He's at the end of his life. And he says, God, give me one more shot. If you were to paraphrase in today's language, God, I've really screwed up. I've messed all this up. I need one more chance to make things right. Give me strength one more time. Another thing I find interesting is Samson is actually mentioned in Hebrews in the Hall of Faith. You know the Hall of, of Faith in Hebrews 11, and they talk about Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and Moses, and they list all these, these famous men who've done great things. Samson made the cut. I grew up in church, and I never noticed that as I was studying this week. I'm like, how did Samson make the cut? If you look at, at Hebrews 11, verse 32, it says, And what shall I more say, for the time would fail me to tell of, so the, in other words, the writer here is summing it up, and he says, hey, I'm running out of time. I can't keep listing all these people because I don't have time to tell of, of, of Gideon and Barak and of Samson. There it is, and he lists a few more. And then in verse 33, he, he describes them. He says, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the, uh, edge of the sword. And I think this next part is he's explaining Samson, just what I read from it. Out of weakness... We're made strong. Samson made the hall of faith. All the screw-ups and the mess-ups and the failures that Samson had, that Samson did, the breaking of his Nazarite vows, the, 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 the sinful living, the shameful living that he was going through. But at the end of his life, uh, he made the, the, the cut in even Hebrews, and he says, out of weakness, we're made strong. We read that last verse in verse 28. He says, give me one more chance, God. Give me one more time. Strengthen me. He was weak. And God grants him that promise. And I want to, as we, as we start to wrap it up here, these last three notes, um, God loves to make weak men strong. I want to show you these three attitudes here that we see that make weak men strong in the Lord. So instead of an I want it attitude, we, would, we should say, I want God. Whatever it is for you. I don't know what that it is. We gave you an example earlier, whether it's a house, a car, money, hobbies, career, I don't know, um, an addiction, pornography, whatever it may be, whatever it is, whenever you feel that tug, whenever you feel that pull, whenever you feel that, that urge that's saying, I want it, I got to have it, <coughs> excuse me, you have to catch yourself and say, mm, I cannot keep doing this. I want to fight. I want to turn my weak attitude into one that says, I want God. Instead of, I need I know I shouldn't, I got to have, when you say, I, I want God, that's all I want. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says this. Again, this is in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 10 says, 
For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Here's the verse I want you to notice. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. Casting down those negative imaginations, those negative things that say, you can't fight this, you can't do it, you're not strong enough, you have to cast it down and say, yes, I can because I want God, and I'm going to bring this negative thought into captivity, I'm going to control it, I'm going to take charge, and I'm not going to let my flesh control me because I'm not going to be weak like Samson, I'm going to be strong because I want God. Secondly, instead of, instead of I want it, we say I want God, secondly, we say I, instead of I deserve it, we realize I deserve death because of my sin. He said, that's a bit extreme. You went from, I want God to, I need to die. That's what the Bible says. Because here's the thing, we're in a battle, and it's not really a physical battle. Yes, there's physical temptations, and there's physical things that we fight with here on earth, but it's an eternal battle. Eternity is at stake. Romans 6 says this in Romans 6, verse 20 through 23, For we, when we were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit, fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin, and become servants of God, ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end everlasting life. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, if you're not a believer here, then clearly this is the most important part of the message right here. Because without putting your faith in Christ, without knowing that you are guilty of sin and death and you deserve it, but God paid the price for you and that free gift of eternal life, that's where you need to focus. But even if you're a believer and you say, hey, I have accepted Christ, maybe you need to be reminded and go back to that point in your life where you say, you know what? I am not entitled to the things that I think I'm entitled to. I don't deserve it. What I do deserve is death. What I do deserve is hell. But Christ paid that penalty for me. And because of that, because of my sin, I'm going to lose that I'm entitled to it. I deserve it attitude and embrace that attitude of I deserve sin. Or I'm sorry, I deserve death because of my sin. Lastly, we see this. Instead of I can handle it, we say I can't handle anything without God. And with him, I can handle anything. I can't handle anything without God. With him, I can handle anything. The best that I can come up with on my own is shameful and sinful to God. It's filthy, it's dirty, it's unclean. Isaiah 6.46 words it this way in the very first part. It says, but we are full, we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness, anything that's good, it says all, it doesn't say some, it doesn't say part. Oh, everything that we bloat about and think we're awesome, yay, I'm good. I went to church. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I kept God's laws. I did all of that. This verse says, all our righteousness are as filthy rags. They're dirty. They're disgusting. He doesn't even want to look at them. Philippians 3, 7 through 9, uh, this says, but what things were gained to me, those I count counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the ex excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Verse 9, here it is. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, 
but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So we can't handle anything. I can't handle anything without, without God. But with God, I can handle everything. Are you wholly surrendered to God? That's the question this morning. Or are you trying to do things on your own power? I put in your notes there at the bottom a quote by uh, Henry Varley, who, who spoke this to D.L. Moody. And, and I was researching that he didn't, Henry here, the guy you're talking about, he didn't even remember saying it. D.L. Moody told it to him. He says, this is what you said to me, and it stuck. The world has yet to see what God can do through one man who is wholly surrendered unto him. And I believe that's very true. What if you're that man? What if you're that woman that God wants to use to change and to do things, to do great things for this world? What do you need to do, to do about that to fix it? You might, well, I'm too old. I've already, my time's wasted. I've already wasted. I'm in my 30s. I'm in my 40s. I'm in my 50s. And what's funny is no matter how old you get, you could say 60, 70, be going up. The person in their 30s is already saying, I've wasted too much time. I'm too old now. It's too late. The person in their 40s is saying, I'm too old now. I've wasted too much time. It's too late. The person in their 50s is saying, I'm too old now. I've wasted too much. You get where I'm going? But here's the thing. If you're not dead, God's not done. So if you're still alive, if you still have air in your lungs, then God might still want to do something great through you. And what could the world, what could the world look like if you allowed God to, to use you and to be wholly surrendered to him? Maybe you need to be like Samson. <clears throat> Just don't do it at the end of your life. And say, hey, God, I, I am 33. I'm 33. I've wasted X amount of years of my life. Maybe you're 43 or 53 or 63 or 23 or 13. But you need to say, I need one more chance. I've messed up. But just because you've messed up, just because you failed, doesn't mean that God can't use you. But it starts with honesty. You have to be honest with yourself. If you're not honest with yourself, you can't be honest with your spouse. If you're not honest with your spouse, you can't expect you to be honest with your kids. If you're not honest with your kids, you can't be honest with those that you influence that are underneath you, maybe at work or in the church or, or wherever it may be. So honesty is where it starts. It starts with you, and it starts with admitting that because you're only as strong as you are honest. This is the thing this morning, church, as I, I challenge you to this. Define what the battle is that you need to fight. What is the battle that God has called you to fight? Like I said at the beginning, if we don't have a cause, if we don't know what we're fighting for, we're just going to direct our energy in whatever direction we can, and then things are going to catch our attention, and like Samson, we'll turn aside, and we'll fight the wrong fights, we'll fight the wrong battles, and we won't win the things and fight for the things that God wants us to fight for. Define what the battle is. Fight the fight you must fight, and just fight it strong. Fight it hard. Continue on, and, and don't turn aside or turn back. Turn your attitude of, I want it into, I want God. I deserve it into, I deserve death because of my sin. And I can handle it into saying, I can't handle it. I can't handle anything without God, but with him I can handle anything. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as, as we pray? And I don't know if, if God spoke to you this morning or not. I don't know if something stuck out to you. Um, but my prayer is this morning that um, if there is something in your life, if there's an area of your life that you need to commit to God, or, or you, maybe you need to say, God, there's something that, it's taking root in my life. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's that sense of entitlement. And you're saying, I've made some mistakes. I've made some bad choices as a parent, as a father, as a grandparent. Man, I know Father's Day is next week. And maybe Father's Day is not a good time for you. Maybe it's a time that reminds you of your failures, reminds you of your dad's failures or whatever. But maybe it's a time that you say, God, 
I don't want to make those mistakes I've made anymore. I don't want to make the mistakes my father made. I don't want to make the mistakes my grandfather made or, or whatever that may be. And say, God, I want to be holy, dedicated, surrendered unto you. Turn to God. Ask him to help you be the man, be the woman that he created you to be. I know we've talked about Samson, ladies, and, and maybe you don't resonate with Samson's story that well. He's, it's blood and guts and, and gore. But the same is true for you. God has a fight for you. There's a battle for you. Ephesians tells us we need to put on the armor of God because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual fight. And the devil would not love nothing more than to destroy the people of this church, to destroy their children, their grandchildren, to see these doors closed like so many churches are doing, not only in this valley but across this nation and the world. So this morning I want to encourage you to be strong to fight the fight. I'm going to open the altar this morning. I finished preaching a little earlier than I thought. And if you feel that God has spoke to you this morning, I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm not going to call anyone by name. But if you need to do business with God, take the next couple minutes and just, whether it's in your seat or at the altar, you talk to God this morning. God, we thank you for this church. Thank you for this city. And I know that you have a plan for Caldwell, Idaho. You have a plan for Nampa, Idaho, for Centennial Baptist Church, and, and those who are members of this church, and those who are maybe not even members, but they just attend. And I pray that you'd help us to fight the fights that we need to fight, to serve you day in and day out. Christianity is so much more than a Sunday morning. It's what happens in between these Sunday mornings is where the real battle is, God. Help us to be strong men and women. Help us to stay in your word. Help us to be faithful, to follow you and do the things that you would have us to do, God. In your name we ask these things. Amen. All right, before we close, I want to make sure you're aware of a lot of things that are going on this month. Busy month and busy time. Um, uh, don't forget about your next steps. In the last two weeks, it's been a little bit crazy, and we haven't really emphasized the next steps. Um, there's four next steps, which is starting point, uh, groups, service, and discipleship, and we try to hi highlight one each week, and discipleship is the one that was for this week, and in a few weeks, I'm going to have Melissa, who's over in our kids' ministry, share her story, how her and Joe got plugged into this church, started discipleship, then have discipled others, and uh, discipleship is a great thing. It's a way for you uh, to grow in, in your relationship with Christ, and then to um, find a reason to connect with someone else, to whether you just go sit down at a coffee shop and, and open God's Word. We have a book that guides you through those things. Maybe you already know those things, but you can establish a relationship with someone else. Strengthen them, encourage them, and get them to grow um, so they can maybe do the things that God has called them to do. Because maybe we make excuses. We know the Bible. We've gone to church, but I don't really know how to share my faith. This is a great way to get plugged in and, and share your faith and, and gain that courage and strength that you need. So take your next steps. If you can go out in the lobby today, Rochelle is going to be back there. And if you want to sign up for those, you can sign up for those. And uh, definitely encourage you to do that and get plugged in, whether it's a small group or, or serving here in our community. Um, there's some great things.